This soil brings us riches and blessings. another episode of Fertile Soil. I'm so excited about today's episode. We've got a special guest coming on today that is very uh, knowledgeable and works in the field that we are going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today is on wastewater treatment because water is the one thing that there can be no fertile soil of any kind even in when we talk about the life's the things in our lives that are examples of fertile soil and then of course the soil and the things that are derived from the regular soil in different parts of the world the special things that come from that that we've talked about in the past coffee uh, tobacco uh, fish animals uh, crops <clears throat> because there's normally two different types of I've talked to you about before in the past of fertile soil necessity and luxury where they are derived from one of those two and generally it is always a necessity and then over a period of time those necessities as we get further into uh, modern day has turned into luxuries but back year at some point in time it was a necessity most of the time now to have all of those we have to protect all of our fertile soil and again like I said the guest that's coming on today his uh, works in this field and knows all about it and we're going to talk about four different areas that are the most important uh, ingredients that it was, comes about from what when we do uh, wastewater treatment we are reducing the environmental impact we reduce the demands and stress on fresh water supply. That's the first two. Then the third, of course, by doing that, we will eliminate the need to transport water because we're treating the water. And then, of course, of all this, it improves sustainability where we can continue to live the life we are in. So as we get into this podcast, it's going to be really exciting and we're going to talk about the jobs that come about from wastewater treatment. This Again, to get started here, we're going to talk about recycling wastewater to protect our fertile soil and our life. Okay, like I said, let's get started here. Again, I want to reiterate how important this is, uh, the protection of our water. Again, we can't have our life, we can't have special places in the world for fertile soil without the protection of our water. These people that are into wastewater are on the front lines of our lives. You don't realize that they, those jobs are some of the most important jobs there truly is in the world. Nobody really thinks about it, but without this protection, we have nothing. We have nothing. We go 
because like I talked about before, some of the luxuries, like when I was talking about, you'll see I have another podcast that I've got recorded that'll be coming out soon, or it may have already come out once this one hits the market, is on the tobacco industry in Cuba. And um, it is a luxury. It's some of the most expensive and the best um, tobacco in the world. But you can't have that without clean water. We all have to have clean water. And like the two different types of fertile soil that I've talked about uh, is on one side is the actual fertile soil. And then you've got life in general, like there is a fertile soil, like our family video or uh, podcasts that I've done, like on grandmother's recipes. And I talk about friends through this and the jobs that come about this, that's your life of it. But the soil itself special places all over the world like the one i did in india on the mangroves which is a really amazing thing but anyway most of those not just the tobacco but a lot of them are or most of them are a necessity i mean uh to have a place to eat and live like again i like to refer back to the mangroves they are in india they're the world's largest and they protect the entire uh, coastline in India. Without that, that coastline, they wouldn't have the food industry there that they do. So again, we're protecting our fertile soil. <clears throat> we most protect all fertile soil, whatever type it is. And we want to protect that. And one of the most important ingredients, probably the most important ingredients of all that we're protecting here of anything to protect their fertile soil, again, is water. And the way we do that most of the time is through water management of wastewater. There's many advantages to recycling water. We're going to discuss, again, like I told you, four different of the main reasons. Once I get introduced my guest here, we'll discuss each one of those in detail. Again, it's gonna be how reducing the environmental impact, what the bad water, how it could or, and it does, and from time to time creates major problems in our world, in our health, in our children as they come up, causes diseases if the water's not treated properly. Uh, it just can be a horrible situation. It can ruin some of the most beautiful, fertile soil there is in the world. I love to talk about the Kona coffee that I've already done a podcast on. It's in Hawaii. If the water there is not pure, you'll destroy that environment. And there's no other place in the world like that. It's some of the most unique and best tasting coffee there is in the world. And then we, uh, with the new technology that is out there, it, for instance, one of the largest uh, uh, dirty water, I guess what you call it, water that needs to be treated the most is in mining. But with the new technology of filter presses, and the guest is gonna talk more about that here in a minute. When all that water comes out and is separated, it separates into liquids and solids in a broad range of different industries. The mining is a big one, but many of them are very active in developing and implementing strategy for water conservation, conserving water and wastewater reuse they like to reuse it and again this guest i'm going to introduce here in a minute knows every bit about this but by using advanced and large-scale filter press technology the mining industry 
which really, really needs this. We have to have our mines, we have to have our coal, we have to have everything to heat and cool and uh, produce power so we can do other ind industries. Well, that creates dirty water that needs to have to be treated, needs to be recycled. What they do is uh, they filter it out and then they press it into these cakes. I'm not gonna go into complete detail. We will here in just a second. Um, because this guy that I'm going to introduce to you, he deals in that every day. He'll talk about the exact things on that. And the one thing uh, that what I love about that he's told me about is how it reduces the demands of stress on our freshwater supply. Uh, because we continue, he'll tell you about it, using recycled treating treated wastewater, it can relieve the use of fresh water supplies. And then it saves that for the fresh water for us, for our crops, and then uh, complete without having to um, have so much wastewater to get rid of. And one thing that kind of hits home to me that I have an experience with is eliminating the need to transport water. I remember I worked for an explosive company for 20 years, done many, many different jobs out there. When I first started there, I started in 1985, um, <clears throat> we produced uh, natural glycerin, which at that time, I watched it, seen it every day, they, the, water, the dynamite was produced, or the natural glycerin was produced, it was pumped down to what we call the NG storage facility after it was produced, and the and natural glycerin weighs more than water so they would dump or uh, produce the natural glycerin and it would go into a holding tank and it would settle out in water to keep it cool and the water would go to the top and the uh, NG natural glycerin would be on the bottom so when you are uh, producing this back then in 1985 once you get to where the natural glycerin is ending because you're pumping, you're draining the natural glycerin out of those tanks into what they call a natural glycerin buggy, which would in turn be sent to the production end of the facility, which I actually ran that production. It was called the mix house. I would take the natural glycerin and mix raw ingredients together. Some of the natural glycerin in that uh, dynamite, I remember making one um, uh, product that was an 1100 pound mix and of that 1100 pound mix it had over 800 pounds of natural glycerin it was a very volatile maybe volatile is the wrong word for it very high explosive we called it viber vibernide it was a uh, it was used for searching for uh oil and looking for different uh ways to i mean it was used in producing or finding again the oil reserves <clears throat> and we used it a lot but anyway back to that when we would go down to push this buggy down there we would get the split what's that's what they called it once you ended the natural glycerin and the water you had to pay attention to get that split so you'd know to stop releasing the natural glycerin into the buggy that was going to the production facility but at the end of the day during this production they were always having wastewater always having wastewater i watched millions and millions of gallons of that wastewater proof shot straight into the river where i live which created problems and i know that later on they paid millions of dollars in fines well along that time they 
uh, finally started treating wastewater. And then for a long time, we started, had to transport the water off our plant to another wastewater facility to treat it. Now, having known our own wastewater place at where I worked, they have it there, I'm not there, I'm not in employment there anymore, but they treat their own water, they don't have to transport it off so much. They still have a little they transport at the end of the day, but not much. So you're protecting your rivers, you're protecting your, uh, your water supply, your clean water supply, you're protecting your children, you're protecting your family, your wife, and your, uh, just your way of life. And what that does, it improves sustainability. Now, um, all of this creates many, many thousands and thousands of jobs. For example, a study done by 30 utilities that provide water, wastewater and stormwater services to 83 million people in the country. And what, to give you a number, how many people that is, just the country, United States population now is 330 million people population. So these 30 utilities supply basically a third uh, or 25%, as you can see in the study of the water in our country, this is 25% of our population of these 30 utilities. And over the next 10 years, this is what, how much they will pump in the economy, just these 30 utilities. Over the next 10 years, these companies will spend expenditures each year of over $23 billion per year. That is a lot of jobs, a lot of money into our economy. And it's creating over 289,000 permanent jobs just with those 30 utilities and 25% of our water that is treated in our, our people, water for 25% of our population, which is fantastic. It's creating jobs that do good for our environment, do good for our health, do good for uh, everything about our country. Everything. It, this is the front line that creates and protects our fertile soil and our way of life. And that's why I'm so excited today to have this special guest. And it's a really special guest for me because it really hits home. He is my son. He works in wastewater treatment. He is a wastewater treatment specialist. He is an operator. He's learned. He's gone to school on all this stuff. We're going to talk and go into this a little bit. But Without further, further ado, I want to introduce my son, Connor Blagg, the, uh, the guest speaker for today and the specialist in wastewater. Connor, I'm excited to have you here today. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Now that we have you as the expert and I've rattled and told you what I've learned and studied, it's been, I've been really looking forward to having you here so you can tell us a little bit about it. You, so you work every day in this, correct? Yes. You do. So, um, can you give us a little bit about what you do, how what your job is, and then we'll go into detail in a minute how it breaks down or what's... Um... Well, every day I show up to work and I run through our plant, make sure everything's operating properly, and just basically check our SCADA system to make sure all of our lift stations are up and running right. and. Then I go around, I check screens and I check pumps and just make sure everything's lined out and then 
Well, that's got to be uh, pretty important. Does it? Does that stuff ever break down sometimes? Yes. Yes. Well, that's so. You guys have got to be kind of on call, or somebody there, or do you have alarms? How does that work if something messes up? Yeah, we have an on-call phone, so whenever a say a lift station goes down, we get a call in the middle of the night. It could be anywhere from seven o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're on call at all times. So the, again, like I was saying earlier, is this job is a front line to me listening to you and we're and you're going to tell me more about it i know we've talked a little bit about to prep for this podcast is it to me it's almost like you're a uh, ambulance driver or a firefighter or a policeman i mean you're not running out there and giving someone cpr at the moment but when that breaks down you're giving cpr to that um plant which in turn really it's giving cpr to me to you, my children and your children, my grandchildren, your children. So it's very important. So I guess you take that pretty serious when something happens, huh? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you, uh, uh, have you had some pretty bad stuff happen or like what, um, what's? Yeah, I mean, we've had, I mean, I've worked 24 hour shifts. I've worked 12 hour shifts. Holy I mean, cow. It's just part of the job. It just depends on how bad it is or your situation that you're having to deal with at the time. Well, I'm sure two o'clock in the morning you get pretty tired, but I get, I realize, I mean, I can see that you realize how important this job is. So can you tell me a little bit, can you go through and tell me how this uh, plant runs, how your, how this process works? Can you tell us a little bit about, or sure. tell me how it works? Yeah. Um, so. Basically how it starts out is it starts out as raw sewage and from people's houses it goes into our sewer mains and then it is gravity fed or it, it could be a force main also and it's fed into a lift station but that lift station pumps it from the from the wet well to our headworks. So our headworks is where all the raw sewage from our city comes in in one, in one place and then from there it runs through multiple screens so we can get all the man-made uh, objects out of there and the feminine products and everything else out of there. That must be a lot of waste. Yeah, it's it's an everyday job. We have to clean screens every day. Oh, wow. And um, then from there, it's uh, gravity fed to our um, a selector tank, which is where the whole process begins of treating the water. And in that process, it goes into this little tank and it's mixed up so everything so how's it mixed up is it like with air yeah it's air it's um it's an aeration system so it it's basically just bubbling everything up and mixing it all together oh so it's just churning all the time yes oh that's pretty neat and then from there it'll flow into our the first phase of aeration which is it it can run for an hour and then it'll settle out so all the good bacteria and the bad bacteria can mix together and then get eaten like the bad bacteria will be eaten by the good bacteria and just get rid of it. Now you don't have to add bacteria to this. There's no, a natural is, good and bad bacteria in, we're talking here, let's just be straightforward. We're talking about human waste. Correct. So in the human waste, um, again, it's just like in our body, in our intestines, our good bacteria in there is eating and, and protecting us. 
where same thing when we dis when we release our human waste. So that's how right. this. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to make sure understood what you were telling me. Right. So yes. um, there are good and bad, but we do not mix any chemicals or anything. It's an all natural um, cleansing of the wastewater. So after that first phase, it'll run into our second phase, which is uh, basically the same thing. It's just doing it in a, in a fine, it's fine air bubbles. It's not the large bubbles. So it just, it basically just makes it a little finer. On, so it continues the breakdown system. Right, yeah. I see what you're saying. And then from there, it, it flows back uh, into phase one. And so then it pumps back up again. Right, and then it's wasted from our first phase of the aeration to our digesters. And then from... What's the digesters? The digesters is where all the, uh, the sludge is held. Mm -hmm. So that's the thick material that comes out of wastewater. Okay. And... Um, what do you guys do with the, the thick material? The thick material, uh, in the end, is pump to our belt press. So it's just like what we talked about earlier, how the mining systems is using, they're doing the same thing. They're creating, they're pressing that down. Correct. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to come back to that press because that's a whole other subject. I want to talk about that, but I want to let you go ahead and finish your process. And uh, like I said, it's pumped into the digesters. From there, they're the clear water and some of the sludge goes into the clarifier. So the clarifier, it does not have any air period. Okay. So the sludge is settled to the bottom and all the clear water. So these, these tanks that I'm talking about, I'm not talking they're like five foot deep. These things are 30 foot deep. Oh, there, holy cow. There's a lot of water going through those systems. So this is big time. I mean, yes. are, you, so are you treating the whole city or is this a yes. town? In about a day, we run about six million gallons of water. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Right. No. Well, and, go ahead. Um, anyways, from the clarifiers, uh, there's special valves that basically gravity feed the clear water off the top to our UV station. So ah. back to the clarifiers, the there's sludge on the bottom, like I was saying. So whenever there's a certain amount of sludge, uh, RAS comes on, which is return active sludge. Okay. So it pumps it from the bottom and it shoots it back to the beginning. So you run that sludge again through this product? Yes. yes it gets, so it you gets. keep running and running. So it takes, you don't make it, you don't send them to the press until you absolutely have to basically. Correct. Whenever it's at a certain uh, percentage of thickness, mm -hmm. that's when we waste and it's wasted into our digesters. Now is the system, is it measuring that thickness or do you guys have to test it? Uh, it's, it's computerized, but if that were to fail, we would have to do it manually. To test it, to know when to send it to the press. Correct. Or okay. it, could, it could mess up our whole plan. And that's a bad deal, right. of course. So you guys got to maintain, so like if something like that goes down, you get an alarm on your system? Correct, yes. And then how does, if you get that alarm, does the alarm, is there a plant operator there? Does that alarm go automatically to someone that calls you in in the middle of the night if that happens? It's, a, it's an automatic, yeah. so what we have is a SCADA system. So our SCADA system is hooked up to lift stations, 
uh, pieces of equipment, uh, pumps, I mean everything that you can think of that is operated all night. So if something like that goes down, we automatically get a phone call in the middle of the night saying, uh, this lift station, pump one failed. So that comes, if you're the guy on call that night, that comes directly to your phone, or does it go to someone first and then they call you? No, it comes to us directly. Okay, wow. So, well, it's a very serious job, so you gotta get your tail up and go, you yeah. can't play around because yeah, you're you, pumping bad water into the river or whatever. Right, that or if you have a, a sewer main backup and the manhole's overflowing, that's a that's an SSO, so that's a, What's SSO? A, a sanitary sewer overflow. Ah, yeah. That'd be bad. Right. So it's no good. And that's a big thing with DNR is DNR is pretty specific on what like you have to report it within, uh, I believe it's an eight hour period of it happening. If it's an overflow yeah. sometimes. If, if we have sewer going into the ground, we have to let them know. I see. Within an eight hour period. And then after that, after as soon as you let DNR know, you have to have that problem resolved within 24 hours ah. or DNR so you, can come for you. And then they find the, the right. operating system. So, but you guys are trained so well that don't normally happen. No. That, that you guys are on it. Yeah. So, back to where you were at, you were at the... Um, so, like I was saying, the, uh, the clear water from the top of the clarifiers is, is gravity fed to our UV station. So, so what does that do? So our UV station, it has bulbs. It, it has 50 UV bulbs that basically when that water is sent through there, it just neutralizes all the bacteria so it can't grow anymore. It can't, can't reproduce. So it's at that point, it's neutralizing the good and the bad pretty Correct. much. Okay. Yes. So where does that water go once it goes to the UV system? So after that, go, it goes to the UV station. It, it sits in a holding tank and it's constantly pumping into a creek. Because it's clean at that it's point. It's clean, yeah. It, it, you could take a, a glass of tap water and a glass of that water and you couldn't tell the difference. And yeah, that's an interesting fact that the, uh, I've done some studying on it, which I mean, you probably do. That's kind of the big debate <clears throat> that uh, this water can be used again. Some people are nervous about that, but like I said, we're going to go back and talk about the presses. That's where we get into more of that. <clears throat> the product left over from the presses, the stuff that's actual that you couldn't get, that you had to get rid of, the, the, the thick sludge. Uh, so, do you ever have to use that water that's like some of your water again that's good, clean water? Yes. So, um, when we were talking about our belt press, so our belt press. It, it has to have water be able to be able to run. Okay. So it's, it's called our washdown system. So whenever it's in that holding tank, our UV holding tank, mm -hmm. all that clean water that's already been neutralized, it's clean. So we have a pump down there that will pump it back to our uh, belt press, and that's our, our washdown water. So you're not, so again, that's part of, uh, eliminating uh, the using it reduces the demand on our stress on our fresh water because you're basically producing clean water from your system and reusing it again correct <clears throat> so <clears throat> to me <clears throat> excuse me is again without this I just 
our country could not sustain the life we're living. We would not have the beautiful places we have. We would be contaminating everywhere. It, at some point, it would cause some major health risks. Correct. You know, you go back to the, the Black Plague and all that back in Europe, a lot of that and different sicknesses and diseases was from our own uh, human waste and things that um, we didn't know how to take. I remember, I don't remember what year it was, um, talking about in England and Europe whenever uh, they burn coal so much then they didn't have filters and stuff to uh, scrub that out. Uh, at one point there in uh, London, the, uh, the fog settled in there. I can't remember the year at this point, uh, but it settled in and killed lots and lots of people because that smog was so thick. But again, I'm just giving that as an example of what it would be like if we didn't have people like you on guard to protect our life. And I appreciate that. I know it's a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours, and it takes a lot of intelligence and knowledge to know how to take care of this stuff. Uh, I'm kind of bragging on you. You're my son, but I'm really proud to know that you're there, and I know that we've got somebody that's very intelligent that knows how to take care of this stuff. Uh, but I want to jump back to this uh, reducing the environmental impact. We're going to talk. I want to talk just for a second about this. Uh, you guys called it. What do you call your press when you're done? Uh, call it cake. Call it cake. And what I had read on was uh, the mining has the same thing. They remove the white. What I had wrote as a note was removes the waste with filters, then presses waste into blocks. That way, they don't have. To be, uh, they don't have to use ponds to dump it in for it to settle out. Because from what I understand, back in the day, or they still use it some, the problem with ponds is, they used to have it a lot when I was younger, but <clears throat> it would, it can create a lot of leakage. It can leak into the surface and, again, into our clean groundwaters. So this new system type of stuff you guys work with every day, this uh, doing the uh, treating of the wastewater, but packing the sludge what can that sludge be used for what can those uh, things or what do you do with them well after it runs through our belt press it's put into a dumpster for right now we are taking that to a landfill which it doesn't hurt anything no it's completely neutralized to there's nothing bad in it what is there any other use it could be used for oh yeah it could be a good fertilizer for farmers it could be I mean it's a great fertilizer. Well, from what I've studied, it's kind of a thing, it's a mental thing, uh, because people think about, hey, you're putting human waste onto my corn or onto our beans or whatever type of crop they're growing, which in turn, it truly is not human waste at that point. It's already broke down into, you're getting the nitrogen and all that from this? Correct. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, so it's a mental thing like up there some uh you're not in an area where it's cost uh effective to ship that to somewhere where they can spread it at this point well at this point in time i mean we're still pretty new this plant is mm -hmm. so we don't have any contracts with any farmers yet in the in the future hopefully we will but um also, what goes along with that is you have to have special permits for it uh -huh. through DNR, and you just have to have your ducks in the row before you can... I'm sure if they do that, once the farm, you guys get those contracts, those farmers have to test the soil from time to time, probably more. 
Right. Just it, it's more of a peace of mind to people, I guess. Correct. So, but have you worked at any plants up there at all that's doing anything with their cakes yet, or is it in this um, area? <clears throat> yes, uh, a place where it's it's closed. It's uh, the city of Boonville. Uh huh. They have contracts with farmers, and they do spread it. So they just take it out there. What do they do? Put it like in manure spreaders and break it up and spread yep. it like just like. See, that's amazing. There's no waste. We've learned how to protect our fertile soil. And uh, growing up with you, I know you and I really, together growing up, really respect and we really enjoy nature and, and have seen firsthand the, um, what fertile soil can do with this. I know you and I, with our family, we've traveled almost every place in this country. We've seen some of the most beautiful places from the west coast to the east coast, up towards Canada, down into Mexico, you've been to Honduras, I've been there, we've traveled on mission trips. Without that job, we wouldn't have those places. It's just not there. And to be able to reuse that, it's to me, this is why this podcast is just so, so important. It's like the benchmark or the bottom step or the foundation to everything to protection if we don't take care of it but it, it, it doesn't mean that we can't function as a society and be good for our economy because doing this it shows as an example as we talked uh, to just with 25% of the population being serviced by these 30 utilities to put 23 billion dollars of money into the economy is pretty amazing it's created your job and there's more jobs that you could you're going to advance in your um, there's a lot of levels to go up to and I guess there's a lot of employees that work for this your company quite a few right yeah yeah um, so I to me again I just appreciate what you guys are doing I appreciate that you're out there on the front lines that you're taking care of us I know that my grandkids I have four at this point or not, they don't have to worry about their groundwater being bad. They don't have to worry about drinking something over a long, extended period of time that could create a disease in them. Without you guys, we couldn't have that. We couldn't have the beautiful uh, world we have, the country we have. You know, so again, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show today. It's, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add in or say or? <clears throat> I mean, like we were talking about how uh, the fertilizer, how we can use our cake for fertilizer. So there's another little side job that I do with a lagoon and they take off that, that water, the clean water. It's just the same thing, same process, all natural, no chemicals. And what they do with it is they take that clear water instead of taking it uh, and just letting it sit and evaporate, mm -hmm. they take that water and they run a center pivot and they they uh, water their whole field with it. And they cut hay off of it every year. Really? And they actually get more cuts out of it, out of that field than anywhere else around. Because of the fertilizer and having plenty of water, which again, <clears throat> and again, what we're talking about number four here is we're improving sustainability. We're able to sustain. It sounds like to me that no, we are not just, are you and your workers and your frontline workers in this, you're not just saving 
You're not just preventing and you're not just protecting, but you are improving our way of life. You're improving our fertile soil. You're making it, you're amplifying things. You're making it beautiful. You're creating more hay, which hits home to you and I because we raise cattle. So to get another cutting of hay is a big, big deal. Like on the years you know, and I, I think it was last year, we were paying upwards to $100 a bale. Correct. Well, this year I've just bought some and I paid $35 a bale. Well, you don't think this deep, but this runs really deep. By you having enough water during a drought and you're able to keep hay. I'm just trying to simplify this and make it as elementary as possible. By being able to uh, keep the cost of hay down, guess what? Then there's going to be the cost of cattle does not increase because when you raise cattle, you'll a pair of cattle, I mean, I'm kind of getting off subject here, but a pair of cattle normally will run about five bales of hay per year, if I, a cow and a calf. <clears throat> well, all of a sudden, if you're paying $100 for a bale instead of $35 a bale, those farmers have to pass it on down the line. And pretty soon, you're buying it and it's the cost is added to you at the dinner table. So, <clears throat> by you, at that other place, using that water, saving our water, you're keeping the uh, you're keeping our cost of living down and quality and protected and again at the same time creating jobs this is just a fantastic uh, industry i just it's amazing that we've come this far i love it uh, i just i'm excited as a father to see you in this industry i just think that it's you're teaching me a lot i've loved to learn and listen to you say what you have you're such a hard worker, you always have been your whole life. So I knew you'd succeed at whatever you do. But to get into this field, you're looking at the amount of jobs there is, your life is unlimited at what you can do in this. So um, I so much appreciate what you're doing once again in protecting us and making our environment better. But thank you so much, son, for coming on today. Um, you've made this podcast fantastic course it's my favorite I got to do it with my son uh, so it's been really special to me and to me my son is part of my fertile soil which I've talked about family before uh, to see my to see my fertile soil my son in turn protecting everyone that's listening to this podcast they're protecting their fertile soil which is their children and their grandchildren i'm really really proud of it and i'm so thankful again thank you connor for coming on today and i hope you guys have really enjoyed this podcast today and it's uh, been interesting to you and you've learned a lot thank you again for joining us here on fertile soil